Hi, everybody. I'm Mickey. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Mickey. Uh, and your leader for this evening. I'm also extremely nervous. And you think I would kind of know better because I've been coming to this meeting and actively um, uh, being of service at this meeting for, I think, over three years. I really love this meeting. And so, okay, right, um, here we go. What it was like, what happened, and what it is like now. Probably just the same uh, for, for me as it was everyone else. As you can tell, I'm kind of terrified this evening. All right. Um, basically, with food, I use food to numb out from life, from personalities, from situations, from things that stress me. I used to think that I was kind of a very mellow individual. No, that's not true at all. Uh, the real me is actually a very nervous kind of a kind of a sort of a high-strung little character. Sad to say, you know. Yeah, I only appear cool when I have binged because I am numbing out from the world, and I learned to numb out at a very early age in life, and it really wasn't that. You know, my parents were cruel or anything like that. It was just that I just intuitively or observed very quickly that the effect of compulsive overeating was to help me deal with life and its situations. And I was raised in a like a working class home in Northern Ireland, and you know. And I mean, I would like to say we were poor, but I mean, we were more kind of working class than poor. We didn't have a lot, and we came from a little town, and, you know, it was kind of one of those places that, you know, you're driving along the road, and, you know, you think, well, I wonder if people live there, I guess, you know, and that was kind of like my hometown, really. There really wasn't anything thrilling there in it, you know. It was kind of like a dormitory town for Belfast and all that sort of stuff. But my earliest memory as a little boy, one of my earliest memories is that, um, was that I got two old British copper pennies and I went round the corner to a little uh, sweetie store, a little candy shop, you know, and, and they had these little chewy bars and I bought 16 of them <laughs> because I knew that eight of them would... Were, there were eight of them for a penny. Amazing. Four years old. I already knew this. You know, I had that m amount of math figured out. And then, so I had all them. And I had little, you know, there were younger children in my family, you know. And, and so, did the thought strike me to share with them? No, not at all. I ate every single one of them. And then the following week, I got two, uh, two more little copper pennies. And I went to the same little sweetie store, and I got pissed off at the age of four because inflation had hit, and now there was only four of them for a penny. Uh, this is the other thing I want to uh, call, uh, mention that also identifies me, in a sense, as a compulsive overeater. When we talk about my earliest memories, you know, early memories in life, it's all around the substance. It's not about, you know, oh, my mummy and daddy and my brothers and sisters, oh, we went, we went and we went swimming. No, it's nothing about that. It's all about the food, you know. It, it, I really got, got on to that in a very early stage, you know. And, and my father was not really an alcoholic, and my mother was deathly terrified of alcoholics. 
And I don't think any of my brothers and sisters became compulsive overeaters, but I sure did. And, you know, it was kind of like other little kids. You know, you go to school, and, you know, I was a fat little kid, so I was made fun of. Okay, that's fine, you know, and I'm sure most of us have already been through that. And the same thing, you know, went on in high school as well. And basically, um, you know, my parents sent me to this boarding school because they thought this was a really nice thing to do. And how I dealt with this was that, um, how I dealt with this was that I just binged. I just used food to back away from you and from me and from life. I just totally used it as a numbing device. Um, and so really, you know, when I think about high school, okay, I've, I've got memories of it, but parts of it are kind of blurry. You know, when I think about, you know, some people might say, well, I just loved French class. It was so interesting, and I remembered this teacher. It was marvelous. I don't remember anything like that at all. It was all about, okay, fine, you know, I'm done with these classes. Now I'm going to get the next meal. Now I'm going to go do this. It was all about just binging and getting out of the way. Getting out of the way. That was really... Um, what life really was for me. And so life, you know, was this kind of this half-life, this sort of shelf life, if you will. And yet, I, you know, I felt okay. You know, I felt okay. Um, I didn't feel that I was shut down from the world, but it was just what I, what I knew. And Al-Anon talks about the asset hidden in the defect. And the asset hidden in the defect for me was that binging keeps me safe keeps me very safe. I stay out of trouble. So I was never in trouble as a kid. You know, I wasn't, you know, I didn't skip school. I didn't skip classes. I didn't tell the teacher to F off or anything like that. I was never thrown out of school. So it kept me nice and safe. But of course, I wanted to stay under the radar. So I never really wanted to do well either. Basically just wanted to be under the ra radar. And food was the most effective numbing mechanism of doing this. After high school, um, I went to college, and I began to find the other substance in my life, alcohol, which my mother was terrified of. But, you know, there we go, and I was like in college, and so I thought, well, you know, let's have a little go at this. And I remember my, um, you know, I'm sorry to go into this, but this is kind of a part of my story. Um, it was just kind of, it was kind of like an effect with food. And I used it just the same way as I did with food. I binged on it. And so when I binged on alcohol, I went for the blackout. When I went, when I binged on the food, I kind of went for the blackout as well. It was all, it was all the same thing. I came to the U.S. then, uh, my early 20s, in 1980. And, um, you know, and I was so happy to be here. You know, I'm very, very happy with that. I mean, I was present enough to be aware for that. And in the mid-80s, um, I heard about uh, Overeaters Anonymous. I heard about it. I heard somebody talking about it. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting because by that point I had tried a number of diets. They'd all failed, of course, miserably. I think I did everything. Uh, a lot of things at the time. I remember doing Lindora and uh, some other things like that. I just... You know, and I just failed miserably at that. I failed miserably at everything. And even later on, when I, when I did Fan Fan, I failed miserably at that as well. And it also messed up my system. But, you know, I came out of it fine, you know. 
Um, but it was, so I was doing many of these diets. And um, so I went to OA um, in the uh, mid-80s. And I met a very nice lady there, and she agreed to be my sponsor. And I started working the steps. And of course, guess what? With a sponsor and with working the steps, I became abstinent, you know? Uh, and that's what I found. You know, if I worked the steps and I worked with a sponsor, I'd become abstinent. But after about nine months of working with this sponsor, my sponsor decided that she really didn't want to do OA anymore, you know, and that she quit. And so you might think that the logical thing for me to do would be to say, okay, well, let's just try and find another sponsor then. You might think that, right? But no, this thought did not strike me at all. The thought that struck me was, damn, this fourth step was kind of painful. And, uh, you know, and I had lost some weight. And, you know, I really just don't want to, you know, I'll go to meetings. That'll do. That'll be enough, you know. So, really, at this point then, what I got from the program was exactly what I deserve, which is bugger all, nothing. Absolutely nothing whatsoever. And it ended up um, on a uh, flight the following year, um, coming back from the UK and binging on airline food. You know, I always kind of like to say, look, you know, if we're going to binge, please binge on some quality crap. <laughs> and not that. You know, I mean, it's not stuff is so bad. But, I mean, and I was out there and I was nuts. And so from about between about 88 and 93... I was out there without a program. But I've experienced a little bit of it. And so because I was out there, I was just crazy. And so not only was I binging on food and all of that, I was doing alcohol, um, binging on alcohol as well. And then when I could find it, and I really, because I'd been so much on food, I never wanted to get into trouble, but yet I still wanted to find drugs in a sort of a overeater kind of way, which is kind of really pathetic, really. Um, you know, and I had a few friends that would have some, and I would say, well, look, if you could share a bit with me, that would be really lovely. Thank you. And, you know, and, and I would, you know, and I would, so I had it all going on. It was all going on. And where that really got me was, with me, it was that I did not, I had no wish to hurt anybody else. But because my disease basically takes me inward, takes me to a very inward, dark place, the only person I really, really, really wanted to hurt was myself. And where that got me was really, I was uh, co continuous thoughts of suicide. Absolutely wanted to top myself, really did. You know, because there was just no point to life. My life was crap. My career was crap. I was thoroughly miserable. I was pissed off. You know, if there was a God, he certainly wasn't helping me, and I could care less. And so, you know, I really had this whole obsession about topping myself. So things just got worse and worse and worse. Oh, yeah, and also I should add that I was, because I was so freaked out and stressed out, I was taking things like Maalox and all that sort of stuff. And I'd have to go to the hospital at different times because my stomach would turn acidic. Uh, and I had everything going on from acidity in the stomach to gout and all of these humiliating things. And drinking while binging and drugging at times as well. 
So, um, you know, finally then what happened, that's enough of that, carry on. Uh, finally then what happened was that I, were, I went, you know, back to the old homeland in the early 90s and was on this beach and was thoroughly miserable with everything. And I said, you know, kind of came out with this prayer and it was, look, you know, God, if you actually do exist and you actually give a crap about me, uh, please, I'll do whatever you want. And uh, that was kind of a different prayer than ever before. So then I returned then to the U.S. after my miserable vacation. And, um, and then, you know, my experience has been that when I go to the higher power for stuff, sometimes I get what I want. And then sometimes I get even more or different than what I want. Because I met my sponsor, my AA sponsor, outside the rooms. Not even in the rooms, because I was not looking for them at all. And it was a totally freak circumstance outside the rooms, and I met him. And this was had such a direct impact on me that I could no longer deny that there wasn't something different about this, because I was really ready for something. And, um, um, you know, he basically... Um, led me through the steps. And he is still my sponsor to this day, and I'm coming up next month on 13 years in AA. Um, but, you know, I remember when I asked him to be my sponsor, um, I had never experienced anything like this intensity. I do not handle my sponsees in this way, but he grabbed me by my lapel and said, what are you prepared to do? You know, it's like Sean Connery in The Untouchables, you know. You ever seen that scene with Kevin Costner? He grabs him and prepared to do. And I was like, okay, anything, whatever, anything. And he went, that's the right answer. Now, we're gonna, you're going to call me tomorrow. And I was like, oh God, what have I gotten myself into? Well, we went through the steps together. He took me through in a very, very exhaustive manner um, through the steps. So where I had to learn about the disease of the ism um, to become to learn about a new character that I had to form. A new character where, you know, the substance was not being used or abused anymore. So I was very, very happy in my AA. I loved it. I went to meetings all the time and I worked the steps in the AA and I loved going with my sponsor and was all into it and it was really, really great. And I found at times that, you know, if I... If I went to maybe seven or eight AA meetings a week and really was making my outreach calls and really was working hard, I would get abstinent for little times, little bits of time, you know, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks, but never a long-term, never long-term abstinence. I could never, could never really get that. Um, but you see... In AA, you see, of course, it was the thing. Well, Mickey, you're not drinking, so you're a winner. You know, okay, fine. You know, and that is true, you know, in, in that level. However, you know, I'd gotten up to 260 pounds. There was that little issue as well. <laughs> you know, I am one, for the benefit of the tape, I'm only about 5'9", on a good day. And, um, and uh, you know, but I still... I still kept doing AA. It did not, it did not occur to me um, to go into OA until 
I was I went back to school and was working on my masters and I was um, doing therapy with uh, these guys in this drunk tank in Anaheim. And they were really like low bottom drunks, and uh, you know most of them really couldn't weren't just were not willing to get this at all. And um, thought came to me, why can't these guys get this? Why can't they get this? And then the thought that came back to me, which I could not deny, was, well, why don't you work the program that really gets you? That is your compulsive overeating. And that really became very, very shocking to me. And I really didn't want to do that at all. No, I don't need that. I, in AA, I don't need that. But then, uh, and then, of course, another thing then happened. You see, I got help again. I met this other guy again outside the rooms. And he was in OA. This happened again. You know, and he started talking to me, because he was also in AA, and he started talking to me about being in both programs. And it, it was really kind of sort of shocking and yet wonderful at the same time. And... Um, but I still, you know, I was still very resistant. I was still very, very resistant to the whole thing. Finally, then what happened was I was at a little party. I was at a do. And I, I did something that I had never done before. Normally, my compulsive overreading manifested itself in, in a very classic way. I, do not, I did not like to eat compulsively in public. No. You know, I'd hardly eat anything in public. But after you've gone... Um, then we go off to the supermarket and we make a very detailed analysis as to what we want. We go and we get massive quantities of those things, like the cone head. <laughs> massive quantities of this. We go home, we shut the blinds, we turn on the telly with the cable and the movie channels, and then we just go for the binge. Absolutely go for the binge. And if my phone rings, I do not answer it. I don't want to be bothered by you or anybody else. Get the hell away from me. I'm on the bench. And that's what's going to happen. You know, and that's what they did. But at this one point, what happened, I was at this party and I started eating compulsively in public. And I'd never done that before. And that really terrified me. And what, what, what really went on in my head was, <laughs> in my head was, I remember, this stuff is shit. I hate it, but I can't stop. So I went, okay, all right. That was my wake-up call. That was my wake-up call. So I called up my friend the next day, and I said, please, please, will you be my sponsor? I really want to work the steps with you. Will you do it? And he said, yes. And at that point then, I became, I immediately then became abstinent. And so that was a little over four and a half years ago. And since then, you know, I have given away about, because I weighed recently, 72 pounds. Um, and so, you know, still, still going on, you know. Um, and so, the other thing I want to say is that um, while, and I guess this is like the higher power thing here, while I believed that the higher power could relieve me of my alcoholism, I absolutely did not believe that I could be relieved of my compulsive overeating. No way. It was too personal, you see, to me. I didn't, because this was the core issue. And I realized this. I did not believe that this could happen. 
But by the same token, I couldn't bear to be where I was. And so I decided, okay, I would go through the steps because I saw that it worked for him. It worked for him. And I would go through the steps for him, even though I didn't believe. And yet I found out later that that was enough. And it kind of talks about that in the steps. You know, I could see it was enough for them. And so that's, that's all the faith I need to get in. That's all the faith I need, um, you know, kind of really to become abstinent. And it's just, you know, and it was, it was so nice, you know, because, you know, I was raised in a sort of a religious tradition, you know. And I hear people talking about faith. And I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? You know, I never could get that. But all of a sudden, this became real to me. The other thing I want to say is that the, one of the biggest things that I've had to work on in my life, and my AA sponsor really drilled this into me, was the difference between religion and spirituality. Um, very, very huge. I did not get this at all. And he really had to show me um, how to work with that. And, you know, it was funny. I was just reading my 12 and 12 this week in step two. And it was just it's talking about this. You know, how, how some of us, you know, have been raised in a religion and, and, and yet when we see in the steps that, you know, we came to believe a power greater than ourselves and it, and it causes within us um, a great deal of resistance because we were raised in religion and it didn't get us anywhere. You know, and, and, um, and so that, that absolutely speaks to me where it was, I find my own conception of my own higher power. I just work on my own little conception. And, um, man, I've got to tell you, I am loving the journey. You know? I am loving the journey after four and a half years. Because it's my own little deal. You know? And it evolves and it grows. And it's, it's just very, very nice. So what I want to say then... Um, is about, of course, what everybody says, and it's thoroughly true for me, is that, um, you know, with a sponsor and working the steps, the thing works. You know, that was it. You know, I was just willing to work the steps with him um, because I just did, could not bear going on anymore. I couldn't bear going on with, with that kind of miserable life that I was leaving. And then, when I became abstinent then the first time, it was, it was a very beautiful thing, really. You know, and I think we see it in the rooms when we see people who are abstinent. It's like the light comes on. The light comes on. And it's really fabulous. The light comes on. And all of a sudden, I notice, start noticing things that I have not noticed. I am noticing colors that I haven't noticed. I'm noticing people that I haven't noticed. I'm noticing situations that I'm not noticing. And also, you know, kind of one of the more beautiful things that happened to me is, is that I'm, I'm receiving for the first time, I'm receiving intuition. Uh, because when I'm in the food, I'm not getting any intuition, I'll tell you that right now. Uh, it's just not happening with me at all. Uh, and so that, that, was, that was just... Um, that was just marvelous for me, you know. And um, I think what I want to say is that, um, you know, this time around, this time, my second time in OA, it's been, um, it's just been really beautiful, you know. It's a really beautiful experience. Um, 
no interest whatsoever in, um, in leaving the meetings. I love the meetings. I love the whole deal. It's like one of my buddies says that, um, he says, you know, and I kind of I like this too, he says, you know, we come, in, we come in here and, you know, and maybe we work the program for a while. And then sooner or later, we kind of come to a point, you know, where we kind of decide, either I like this or I don't. You know, I like this and I want to stay. I like this way of life and it just works for me and I want to stay with it. And that's really what I want to say. This way of life really kind of works for me. Nothing else has worked for me and I want to stay. I just want to stay. I just, and I love coming to the meetings. Now, have I ever been to a bad meeting? Yeah, but I don't care. You know, because it's... it's um, part of what I'm learning is that is that I must be with my fellows. Absolutely must be with my fellows. It's, I guess it's kind of one of the reasons why I just love this meeting so much. Because I must have the identification that comes from hearing another compulsive overeater. And I really don't care whether you are a bulimic or you know, whatever it is, I hear my story in you. you know, and I must have the identification that comes, um, from, that comes from being in the rooms and, um, you know, and, and from, <laughs> from that. Um, I guess I would say that, you know, in terms of working the program, um, and I feel I'm jumping all over the place, um, I really like to work it, enjoy it very much. Um, I've gone through, I went through the steps, you know, in OA, in one way, and then I found that after a while I wanted to go through them again, and I went through them again a different way, and I just, I really thoroughly enjoyed that again, and it led to more knowledge and to more understanding. I think what I want to say to any newcomers at this point is kind of like one. One of my sponsors has said to me, and it's even said in the second step, um, keep an open mind. Keep an open mind. You know, if this food thing is kicking your ass, making no sense whatsoever to you, you know, can you keep an open mind? Can I keep an open mind? Am I willing to talk to somebody? Am I willing to work, you know, with a sponsor? Am I willing to take direction. Am I willing, you know, to, to work this thing? You know, and, and uh, you know, it was just kind of like I liked the way that, you know, my sponsor kind of took me through it. You know, it was kind of like, you know, he said to me, well, Mickey, let's find your way into the program. Let's find your way in. Let's find what way works for you. Let's find your little way. You know, and, then, and so, that you can, so that you can identify with it and, and stay. You know, and stay and grow. Um, and that's the thing, you know. Um, I think that really um, this is just a method of living. You know, this is a method of living. Really, um, you know, my abstinence today is, you know, has been no flour, no sugar. A very broad kind of an abstinence, really. Um, you know, and it's kind of changed. It's kind of changed. You know, and I've heard all kinds of things in these rooms that totally make sense to me. Yeah, you know, I totally, do I have bad meals? Yeah. But I don't care. But now, because it's like, okay, 
there's going to be lots more of them. You know, I'll get back up on the horse and start again. Get back up on the horse, you know, and we keep going. We just get back up on the horse. Because I don't know about you, but part of what I used to do was I used to verbally assault myself. Verbally assault myself. You know, I literally was a total piece of shit. Um, I heard an AA guy talk about this recently. You know, I was like either... I either... I was like maniacal about everything. I either was kind of like... um, You know, I either wanted to be like your slave or I wanted to kill you. You know, it was crazy. You know, part of what this has done for me is to begin to bring me into a balance in life. And to bring me into balance with my fellows, with my program. Um, I feel I've only really touched the surface at this point with it, you know? Um, I really feel I don't even have all that much to say, you know, except that it works, you know. Um, And it works for me with a sponsor, it works by taking the steps. And it just works with that going on every day, every single day. You know, the day, I, you know, this, this AA guy that, that taught me years ago used to talk about the day that we're in, this very day. You know, just going on from this day to the next day to the next day. Um, and um, living that life, you know. Living the life. I would say that what, where I have come now is that um, I'm very much just, you know, on the road, trudging the road, really. Um, I um, enjoy, I've been in the same career for 10 years. I like it, it's fine. I do not need to be the center of attention most of the time. You know, I kind of like being a worker among workers. Um, and uh, I love my meetings, I lo- and I like making outreach calls. I love doing the writing. I I meditate. I never thought I would do that. I really like it now. You know, I, I like it. You know, really. It's you know I'm kind of happier at home. Um, um, just kind of a sort of a little bit of a more decent human being, I think. You know, you should talk to my wife some days, and she might tell you I'm a bastard. But, you know, but, I mean, you know, it's just an ongoing little thing. You know, it's just an ongoing little thing. I mean, my thing is just at this point, I just think that, you know, that if anybody is, like, struggling out there, you know, because I remember I struggled with this for years. It's like, okay, just... You know, just stop the struggle. Just come into the room. You know, come into the rooms. You know, just keep an open mind. Keep an open mind. And um, and then get a sponsor. Go through the steps. Just the simple little things. And just let the program work. You know, just let the program work. You know, and work with a sponsor. You know. Okay, I'm really sounding like a thoroughly broken record here at this point. Um... And that's, that's about it. I, I'm just like so grateful for the program. It just really, really helps me so much, you know. I was very much lost and alone, you know. They talk about the, um, you know, you hear about this in AA too, you know, the se- feeling of separate, different, and alone. 
Felt like this all the time when I'm in my disease. Separate, different, and alone. But here, you know, when I'm in this, I feel like I'm apart. You know, I'm, I'm in the world. I'm in the workplace. And I must be with my fellows. Must be with my fellows. It's just so really important for me. So that's about it. I think I'll open it up now to any questions if anybody has any for me. Thanks for letting me share. Uh, Jim. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Mickey. Can you tell us how you connect with your higher power and maybe how that concept has evolved over time? Yeah, uh, Jim, uh, the question was asked how I connect with my higher power and how that has evolved over time. Is that right? Okay. Um, the way I was taught was initially was um, to develop a higher power of my own understanding and to have conscious contact during my day um, with my higher power. One of the initial, some of the initial lessons included um, uh, wearing my watch on another hand. Um, doing something different. And so when I felt the discomfort, it would remind me to plug into the higher power. That was one thing. That was one of the first things that, that came in. Um, other things were that, um, you know, in the morning, I normally start my day with, uh, with the prayer and meditation. And I, you know, on a good day, I'll do TM for about 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening. And then I read either a couple of pages from the big book or the 12 and 12, um, like a little uh, like a little spiritual book as well. I, I really kind of need this. Um, during the day, I like to try, if I can, I like to try and check in. I mean, something I'll, you know... And, this is not thrilling, but if I have to go to the restroom, I'll take the lifeline with me at times. Um, I will, maybe TMI. But, um, uh, you know, and then normally before I go to sleep, I'll like reflect on, um, like I'll, I'll reflect on my day. You know, like as it says in page 86 of the big book. And think about it. And, um, you know, and the goal is to try. And the goal is, you know, to try and keep the conscious contact. And my one buddy told me, try and think of it as like a little game. Think of it as like a little game in the day. You know, so the more times I kind of check in, oh, I checked in. Okay, that's good. You know, um, you know, things like that. You know, I don't know if that helps, but and the other thing I would say is that it has. It has grown. Um, I feel free to change prayers around to suit me, uh, to change the emphasis around to suit me. Whatever it is, I feel thoroughly free to change it around to suit me, to make it personal to me, personal to my experience. Because I just find that when I, for me, if I make it personal to my experience, it's personal to me, that um, it's not kind of like out there. You know, it's personal to me, it's present to me. So. Yeah. What um, what is your, is your being experienced with um, uh, character defects and dealing with them um, um, six, six and seven? Yeah. So the question was, what is my experience of character defects and and uh, dealing with them as seen in six and seven? Yes. Thank you. That's a very good question. Uh, yes, I discovered. Uh, every time I go through the steps and I discover them, oh, I have some really nice big character.
character defects. Pride, fear. Um, uh, pride and fear are two of the main ones for me. Shame, guilt uh, are really there. So I have the ethnic thing going on with the shame and the guilt. Uh, I have, and I have the fear, which of course I think is you know, fairly universal, but the one that shocked me the most of the last time I worked the steps was the pride. Terrible, terrible pride. Um, it's either because I either want to be better than you or I want to be worse than you or that I, I feel this way so that you'll think this about me. I mean, it's just all this crazy stuff in my little head, you know. And um, it's just, it's just... Um, you know, and so in terms of the sixth and the seventh step, um, you know, I've done it in a number of ways, um, you know, in taking direction. So with the character defects, um, you know, at one point what I was, uh, my uh, AA sponsor had me do it this way. He's, he's a writer, so um, he had me go to a dictionary and write them and then write my favorite definition and put it in a box and then each day take, pick one out and then read it and look at the meaning and then think about it, take it, up, take it into that day with me um, for uh, meditation. The other thing, in, that's, that's one thing, but it's like but being aware, doing my spot check inventories to see, am I being prideful here? And frequently I am. You know, frequently, you know, if I'm not acting right, it's because of pride or fear or one of them. And, uh, you know, and I need this because, you know, I, I'm one of these people, I need good ego deflation. I need the ego sledgehammer deflation. You know, it really, you know, I will just get too big for my boots. I need a little hammer there and I get it through that. Part of the way I work through uh, step seven um, or doing things, an example would be the doing things that I would not normally do. So that, for example, I remember being told years ago, so if you see a piece of trash in the street, I remember being told, pick it up. My thought was, well, I, don't, I didn't drop it. You know, and the response was, that's not the point. The point is somebody has to pick it up. So I'm doing, so it's the idea that I'm doing things that I wouldn't normally that I wouldn't normally do. So that, in other words, so that if I think, you know, if I think you're having a hard time, you know, well, you know, maybe normally I wouldn't want to come up to you and say, are you okay? But you know, maybe I might just do that now in part of step six. Say, you know, are you all right? Is there anything you need? You know, it's like, you know, a little push in the back, you know, to, you know, to kind of go on ahead. Um, though that's just, that's just part of it. And I want to say is that they're ongoing. And, you know, they, they continue. So, hope that. Right, okay, Chase. Um, I'm working steps eight and nine and the amends process. I know as addicts, we have a lot of amends to each ourselves. Can yeah. you talk about how you work with the amends to yourself and how you work that? Yeah. Um, uh, the question was about working steps eight and nine and the amends and really the amends to oneself. Um, yeah. Um, I really found that this time, this last time that I went through the steps, that uh, in a way, that uh, there was a lot of stuff that uh, I had to make amends to myself for. Uh, I had uh, continued to plague myself with uh, feelings of sadness and guilt and shame over bad choices I had made in my life earlier. Um, things that 
You know, not so much to hurt others, but to hurt myself and, and wouldn't let them go. Wouldn't let them go. Um, basically learning to let them go. And, uh, you know, but I had to identify those things. I had to identify the things that I was ashamed of. Not, and I'm not just referring to, like, you know, um, you know, binging, but I'm referring to things like, you know, um, feelings of I wasted years of my life. Wasting years. Um, wasting jobs. Wasting doing things like wrong career choices. Why didn't I know better? Why, you know, why didn't I know better? And then really through, the, through that, through those... Um, through the you know the eighth and ninth step you know we we went through it like columns this time um, and just taking the accepting the direction you know from my sponsor which was now let it go now let it go and so basically what it was was that you know I you know have to be teachable in the rooms thoroughly and so I just I just take the I just took the advice of my sponsor. And, and, you know, and I was just listening to something recently. And um, the current thing I'm sort of doing is when those kind of thoughts come up, it's before I might entertain them for a long time and, you know, and ruminate over them. Now it's just kind of like I heard something recently where, and I'm doing this now, it works for me. It's like, thank you, thank you, thank you, let it go away. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're just going to move on. Thank you very much. Um, you know, and I've had to deal with things like, you know, getting over having thoughts of fantasy, all kinds of stuff like that. All kinds of stuff. It's kind of like, you know, that the, the path is really endless. You know, the path is endless. Really. So. Hi. Uh, you spoke about numbing out with food. My question is just when you when you first came into the program, first started to gain abstinence, when those feelings started to emerge and realization that you were feeling something was happening, what did you do? Oh, thank you, yeah. With the, multi, with the multicolor feeling experience and everything like that, um, it just it became, an, it became a situation for me where I just had to really work my program hard. Really, because it was just so frightening for me and so unhappy for me to go back there that I knew that if I went back to the food, I would just be lost again, stiffer and separate and alone, and I would be feeling terrible. So, really, what, it, what I was told, you know, I had to pick up the phone and, and literally call people, literally be willing, you know, to kind of put, put, do the sort of humiliating thing to say, Hi, I'm sorry, I'm feeling like I'm going to binge now on some stuff. You know, and talk to the person about it. And they say, okay, just going to commit to you that I'm not going to do it. I found making the outreach call would keep me sane and keep me stopped from doing it. Um, so outreach calls to my fellows. Contact with my fellows was huge. Also going to my higher power with it. Like, um, you know, uh, like, uh, like, you know, dear higher power, you know, would you help me with this? Would you be with me? I'm like, I'm all upset over this. Um, you know, like... Uh, one of my, my AA sponsor would have me, you know, like literally, if I'm having too many feelings going on, literally, take, leave my office, go into the bathroom, and literally close the door, and will literally, you know, just go into, try and go into contact with a higher power for a few seconds. Would, would you help me? Even say the serenity prayer, would you help me out? Would you be with me? Would you help me? You know? And some days it's better than others, other days it's not that good. All right? 
Take a minute, thank you.